I entitled this sermon, A Godly Equation. And so here's the equation. Second-hand experience plus a first-hand experience equals lasting faith. Now, how many people here have ever been on a cruise? Now, how many of you people would like to go on a cruise again? You know, it's not for everybody. I, I was actually talking to Pierce, and Pierce says he went on a cruise. He, he, he'd rather go to a place and just stay there. And that's fine. I mean, the thing is for everything. But for me, my experience was I've heard a lot about, you know, as I was an adult and hearing, I've heard a lot of people go on cruises and talk about how they enjoyed it and how it was a wonderful time. And I thought, for me, the idea of getting on a ship and staying on a ship for a week honestly didn't sound very fun. But then, in 2013, my son, who got a job, a good-paying job, he said he wanted to go on a cruise. He said, and tell you what, I want you guys to go with me, and I'll pay for everything. How can you turn that down, right? So I went on a cruise. You know, I enjoyed it. I did. I enjoyed it. I thought, wow, this is all right. Because for me, it was like you plan everything out in advance, and once you get on the ship, you have nothing to worry about. You don't have to make any decisions except for how much food to stuff in your face. That's it, right? And uh, so that was, for me, it was a good thing. And I, so I went on one cruise, and I thought, well, I would go on another cruise, you know. And so I've been on a few more since then, but not a whole lot. We don't make it a regular occurrence. But I was trying to talk my wife into taking a cruise, a Hawaiian cruise. And then COVID hit. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, maybe sometime. But I thought we'd try to do it for our 35th anniversary, and it just didn't work out. Anyway, in our journey through the book of John, we have been beside a well where Jesus is talking to a woman that we have come to know as Fotina. And this woman... Um, we know that it was beside the town of, outside the town of Sychar in Samaria. We know that this woman, when the day began, she couldn't imagine what her life was going to be like after that by the end of the day. I'm sure for her, it's going to be another day, the same thing that I've always been experiencing for years upon years, and nothing's going to change. Nothing's really going to happen. At this point... Fotina, and we come in the passage today, we're going to begin with verse 39, but at this point in the story of Fotina and Jesus, I'm just going to call it that way, um, Jesus had, was by the well, his disciples went into town to buy food, and out came Fotina and talking, started talking to Jesus. Actually, Jesus started talking to her. And, um, and of course, they had their conversation. And then after the conversation was over with, the disciples come back. She goes into town and starts telling everybody about her encounter with Jesus. So beginning at verse 39 of John chapter 4, we're going to read, please, with me. And out of respect for God's word, let's stand. I know you just got seated and got comfortable, but... From that city... Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, 
For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. All right, please be seated. Let's talk about how the villagers, the people from the city of Sychar, were introduced to Jesus. The first introduction to Jesus, for many of them, was a second-hand experience. And that's where the first part of this comes across, a second-hand experience. They were introduced to Jesus through the statements of Fortina, this woman who had been at the well. Essentially, they listened to the stories and what she said about Jesus. They listened to her encounter and, and what Jesus had done and what Jesus had said. But this was an amazing thing because for many of them, this changed their lives. Just hearing about Jesus, some of them come to believe in who Jesus was and they wanted to go out and meet him. And others, I'm sure, were curious about who Jesus was and they also wanted to meet Jesus and hear about Jesus as well. You see, when the story that Fatina told them, I'm sure, like I said, when she started off that day, she couldn't imagine how things were going to end. She came to draw water from the well about noon. And of course, we don't know why. Honestly, we don't know why at all. We can speculate, and Cliff in the past had talked about how, he mentioned how many people had traditionally saw this woman as a woman who didn't have a good reputation because she had had five husbands, now living with another man. And so, but once again, if she had no reputation, why would they even listen to her? So maybe she wasn't quite as forsaken as many people had thought. And that makes good sense. But here she was. She was going out to the well. And, and that's all we know. Now we, we speculate, right? We like to know why was she going out well at noon. And honestly, we just don't know. But it doesn't stop us from trying to wonder and fill in things. Matter of fact, one time, sometimes when we hear things, we, we always have questions. And sometimes women have a few more questions than us guys do. Come on, let's play this video. Fact of life, women always have more questions than men have answers to. Great example of this. Six, seven months ago, I get a text one day. The text says, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. I walk into the kitchen where my wife is. I said, hey, I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. She said, was he driving? I said, I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Were Carol and the kids in the car with him? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. Were the people in the other car hurt? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. What hospital did they take him to? I don't know. I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. She said, well, you don't know anything. What do you know? I know you need to pray for Tom. I just got a text that he was in a bad wreck. So many questions we don't know. So many questions that will always go unanswered. And honestly, like I said, we just don't know for sure why this woman was at the well. But we do know she had this wonderful time, this experience with Jesus. But I think... When I was thinking about that and I was praying about this passage, I think maybe perhaps it's a good thing that we don't know why she was at the well. Because I think that helps us to more people to relate to her. You see, if she was an outcast, for those who feel like they're an outcast, 
they can understand, they can put themselves in the place of this woman and understand that Jesus cares for them and loves them. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what the history is, what, what their past is. God still loves them. But if she was a well-respected woman but had, through a series of events, went out to the well at less than optimal time of the day, somebody's going through problems and difficulties and life has put her at a place that's not, not, that was less than ideal, I think people, we can relate to that as well when we're in those circumstances. And even in those circumstances when things are less than ideal, Jesus can meet us right where we're at. So sometimes not knowing all the details is a good thing. So we know that here is a woman whose life was not a fairy tale. Even if she wasn't an outcast, anybody who's been through five marriages and all of them had failed cannot call themselves, at least their marital life, as a blessed life, less than ideal. So she came up to this well, seeking to get water and sees Jesus. And Jesus, when he comes up to her, or actually she approaches, he asks her for water. And you see a little bit of sarcasm in this woman, if you remember. Why is it you, being a Jewish man, talking to me and asking a Jewish, I mean a Samaritan woman, for water? I mean, aren't you too good for that? Don't, are you afraid you'll be tainted was kind of the implication? And we know in this course of the conversation that as things went along, Jesus pushed beyond her initial resistance and started talking to her about her personal life and revealed that he knew that she had had five husbands and was now living with the six. And of course, that personal revelation led to a spiritual conversation, which led to a spiritual revelation. And of course, when it went to that, she started talking eventually about Hey, I know the Messiah is going to come. When he comes, he's going to make things right. You see, even though the Samaritans, they didn't worship the same way that the Jews worshiped, they still expected, they still kind of half worshiped. They had their own version of Scripture. They had their own version of the Torah, and it had been modified some, but they still expected a Messiah to come. And then at the mention of the Messiah, Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking to you. And somehow that got past all her defenses and she believed. She trusted Jesus to be the Messiah, the one who come. I think perhaps Fatina was in a place this, that morning, or let's just say that noon, she was at a place, I believe, where she was ready to try to start over. And I know that a lot of people in life, they get to a place where they want to start over. Got a really short video clip, basically 10 seconds. But I thought it just said something to me, and I wanted to share it again. I don't know if you can read this. I was on the phone. Now this woman, young woman, 
is either a really, really good actress or she is truly having a bad day. Can you see what it says? The print is very small. It says, I want to start over everything. I want to be a different person. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that place where you just can't stand the life that you're in any longer? I think perhaps Fatina was getting close to that circumstance, those, that time. In my mind, as, as I see her coming to Jesus, she was having a bad year, which had come from a bad life, which is something when she met Jesus, she was ready to start again. And so then, of course, the disciples, we know, they came back, and she leaves and starts telling everybody. But can you imagine what it was like for this woman, this one we know as Fatina? Can you imagine what it was like at first? As first of all, scary thought. When he started telling her her deepest problems, her deepest secrets, can you imagine what he must have felt like? He was like, she must have been, first of all, scared. My goodness, he knows everything about me. I mean, everything about me. Have you ever gone to have been in the presence of somebody and you've been afraid that they can see right through you, see through your phoniness, see through all the problems you have, and afraid that they're go they might say something to everybody else and reveal something extremely personal to other people? It's kind of been a weird fear of mine in the past at times. Not always, because sometimes I've had some secrets I didn't want anybody to know. There was a time, I think, I don't know, can't remember if I shared it with you guys or not, but when I was a student going to Hannibal LaGrange College, there was a time when I was working in a restaurant. I was with a friend from the restaurant, and we were in somebody's house. I don't even remember whose house it was. But I went into this house, and there was this minister. And we started talking to everybody, and, and, I, and he found out I was studying to become a minister. And so, of course, what do you want to do? He wanted to pray for me right then and there. What am I going to say? No. No, nope, can't do that. No. Of course, I'm going to say, yes, go ahead. And he prayed a prayer that I'm sure I felt very much so that God had revealed to him some things that I didn't want anybody to know. It was kind of scary. It wasn't bad what he said, but it felt like it was directly from God. That God had gave him insight into me. And that was kind of on the scary side. So how would you feel if someone came up to you and started telling you all about you and you didn't know them and they really didn't know you? Scripture tells us in Psalm 139 verses 1 through 4, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. That is the knowledge of God. But see, this is a comforting thought. Yes, he knows all about us. And Jesus knew all about her, but he accepted her anyway. And that's what God does for us. He accepts us as we are with all our flaws and failures, with all the failures that he knows we're going to have in the future, he still loves us and he still calls us to be his children.
Yes, it was a wonderful day in her life, and she had to share it. And so she gave the people, many of the people from the town of Sychar, a second-hand experience. And they, that resulted in, for many of them to have a second-hand faith because of her testimony. But now they desired a first-hand experience. They wanted to meet Jesus for themselves. Once again, in verse 40, for, So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is this one is indeed the Savior of the world. A little side note. It's an amazing thing to, for many of them that Jesus would actually spend two days in the city of Sychar with them. Because generally when the Jews were passing through, we know that they would generally got through Samaria as quickly as they could. They would only go through Samaria because it was the shortest route. If there was a better, shorter route... I mean, it still took them two and a half days to get through there. But nevertheless, if they went around, it would take several more days. But nevertheless, they still didn't waste time. For most of them, they didn't waste time in Samaria. Especially not a holy man. But Jesus didn't care. He put aside all his prejudices and reached out to them. It was, would have been like defined segregation in the United States during the 1950s. Inviting somebody into your home who didn't belong. Eating meal with them in a particular restaurant that where, where you shouldn't. He didn't care. Yes, the villagers had heard wonderful things about that Fotina had said about Jesus. And listening to Fotina had gave them hope. However, they wanted to hear for themselves. People in our country, they've all heard about Jesus just about. But they still need to meet him personally. And they still need our secondhand testimony to bear a true witness to who Jesus is. Why is that? Because we see in the news so many times when all people see are the failures of pastors. The news seems to, in my mind, I, I see that some people in the media, news media seem to love to put up the bad example of pastors who have done horrible things and said dumb things and things that don't honor God at all. So they need our second hand, they need our stories of what God has done for us and what, how precious he is in our lives. So hopefully they will come to where they have their own first-hand experience based on what we have said to them. And another thing is another thing when you're, when you're a child and when you're a teen and you're growing up in your home and you know, in order, you know your parents want you to accept Christ as Savior. You know that. And so what do you do? You pray a prayer and you get baptized and you become a member of the church and it's great. And so what happens when you leave home? You have to decide if that faith is genuine or not. You have to decide 
if you truly believe. You see, for those people who grew up and they, they were doing it, they're doing all the things of church because they wanted to make their parents happy. They don't have genuine faith. They never had a first-hand experience. They've had always a second-hand faith. They never had a personal encounter with Jesus. And so when they go away to college or they leave home for whatever reason, they are by themselves. And now they have to decide, do they really love Jesus enough to make him a priority in their lives? But I'm telling you, it's one thing to hear about Jesus. It's another thing to meet Jesus personally. It is essential that people not only know in their minds that Jesus came and died for their sins, but they also need to meet Jesus and allow him to transform their souls. When people first place their faith in Jesus... A lot of times their faith is kind of like a second-hand faith. What do I mean by that? They have a tendency to adopt what the... If there was a person who was essential to leading them to faith, they kind of adopt the beliefs of that person and accept what they say as truth. And most of the time it will be. Most of what they say. But the problem is... You can't just stop with that. If you are going to be the type of person God calls you to be, you need to have a first-hand faith, a faith that you had made personal, a faith that because of your, of your walk, because of your prayer life, because of your own personal study, you need to have a faith that you know is yours and that you have made the conclusions and you have drawn all the... You have drawn all the... Conclusions that you believe in. As John has done many times up to this point, he has made clear once again that people must believe in Jesus here at this time as well. It's something that we can't do for you. It's something that no one can do for you. It's something you have to decide for yourself. But people, we need to understand that God knows all about us, but he loves us anyway. And that's what a first-hand experience is all about. So, so far, we've had a second-hand experience plus a first-hand experience and hopefully that results in lasting faith. What is lasting faith? Lasting faith is a faith that has matured. We believe who Jesus is and because of what we believe we have lived a life getting to know the one who knows us best. And we understand the closer we get to God, the more we understand and appreciate the full nature of grace. I don't think we'll ever understand the fullness of grace in this life. But the closer you draw to God, the more you realize how precious God's grace is. Because not only does it start with us receiving forgiveness, it continues on to give us the strength to live the type of life that God calls us to live.
It goes beyond just salvation to encouragement and freedom. I've been studying with the men on Monday's morning. We've been doing uh, Romans and going through Romans. We've been some time in Romans because Romans is a really good book. But one thing right now, we just recently went by through Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, he says, So the one who had died to sin continued to live in sin. And in the strongest terms possible, he said, no way. That should never be. You should, if you've died to sin, if you've made, if you put your faith in Jesus and you have asked him to be the Lord of your life, you should never remain in the sin that, from which you have been called any longer. Yes, we need to, a lasting faith is a mature faith. And that comes about because we've allowed God to have the rightful place in our lives. Now, as I've been was looking through things and all that, I, I, I thought about a life worth living. How many of you feel like you are living a life worth living? I hope so. I hope so. I came across one article written by a woman, and it said, 30 things you need to experience to discover how amazing life is. In her mind, this was a life worth living. Now, I'm not going to read all 30 of them, but I'm going to read a few, well, actually quite a few, but not, I, I did eliminate some of them. You need to travel, what, you know, you need to, waking up next to a loved one, Fail epically, succeed at something, work at your dream job, do an extreme sport, bungee, like bungee jumping or skydiving. Ooh, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Be a mentor, get a mentor, exercise the heck out of your body, try to your hand at becoming a minimalist, take a week off to unplug. I think that means from all everything electronically, right? Go for a spa day, be an extra in a movie, take an online course. Learn a new language, laugh a lot, cry a lot, read more, spend more time with family, spend more time with friends, meditate, write in a gratitude journal for at least a month, and mix up your routine. That's not all 30, but that's probably about 20 of them anyway. And I even got in one more video. His bucket list. Those who know me well know I'm known for raising him. Got scars and I got swords. Can't believe he lived to tell. But it ain't hard to see that I ain't the man I want to be. But I try to love everyone God puts in front of me. What makes life worth living? To be honest, I don't really know why. <laughs> I don't know if you can see the last one, but the last one said, I'm 50 and I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> but actually, she also said something else, and I cut that off just because of whatever. But she also said, and wasn't, she, I've been thinking about that question an awful lot lately because in the past I've been suicidal. You know, the thing is, if we're not finding something for our life worth living, 
where our, dark, our thoughts can go dark. And then we can meet our Savior. I would like to add the, what I think is the most important thing to that conversation of what makes a life worth living is you need to meet Jesus personally and live for him. The way to live a life worth living is a way to, is to live a life in honor of the, our Savior and our Creator, Jesus Christ. Today, if you're here, maybe you feel like your life's been out of control. Maybe things aren't where you want to be. Maybe you are here and you know you need change. And you're like that, like that one young woman up there just desperate. Today, you can meet Jesus. Maybe your life, maybe you're not quite that desperate, but you still realize that your life has been wasted. Today, you can meet Jesus and live a life, start living a life with living. Because there is a person who knows you completely. Everything about you knows your thoughts better and knows you better than yourself, than you know yourself. And he still loves you. So when the team comes up here and we sing this song that we're getting ready to sing, I'll be down at the front. And if you feel like you would like to get to know Jesus personally, come and pray. There'll be somebody, if you want to just come and pray at the altar, there'll be somebody to pray with you if you want. But come and pray. Let's pray right now. Dear God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for the fact that you know us and you know us better than ourselves. Sometimes we live in such a way that we are deceiving ourselves, but you know us and you love us. It doesn't matter if we're desperate. It doesn't matter if we're lonely, but you can be the answer to all our needs because you are the answer to all our needs if we're willing to place our faith in you. Even if we deny who you are, it doesn't change who you are. You are our creator. And because of that, you know us better than we know ourselves. So help us, Lord. Help us to surrender all of our lives over, turn them over to you. In your name we do pray.